Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I am Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight on quite a significant election night. The first multi-state primary night of 2022, which we are monitoring closely, and we're going to have much more on that in just a moment. And there is perhaps no greater evidence of just why elections matter so much. More than that sonic boom, that silver reverberating across the country, perhaps that's why. Protests continuing tonight outside the Supreme Court and all across this country over the leaked draft opinion, one written by Justice Alito and backed by four other conservatives, that indicates that the high court may in fact be poised to soon overturn Roe v. Wade. Normally known as settled law of the land, wrote for merely half a century at this point, a law that grants women the right to have an abortion. And there is no question at this point about its authenticity. Chief Justice John Roberts confirmed today that that leaked draft, in fact, is real. But he emphasized and was quite careful to say that the opinion written back in February does not represent any final decision by the court. And as for that unprecedented leak, well, Roberts is ordering an investigation to find the source of that leak. In fact, he's calling the leak a, quote, betrayal, unquote, and, quote, a singular and egregious breach, unquote, of trust. Now, the leak aside, emotions are high. There has been great shock and anger for some and praise and joy for others. Undeniably, there has been much disagreement. But everyone, everywhere is asking the key questions that we're going to focus on here tonight. Questions like, what happens now? What will it mean for women, for the Constitution? What about other fundamental rights that might be impacted, if any? And how has your state legislature planned for the possibility of this very holding? And what role can Congress play? On an election night like this, what might the political impact B. We've got a powerful dynamite team here to help answer all of those questions tonight. Politically speaking, perhaps no one should truly feel blindsided by what we've seen. This has been a hotly debated issue since at least 1973, one that both Democrats and Republicans have campaigned on and have fought over relentlessly since. Donald Trump, as you know, told us point blank back in 2016 that if he were elected president, he would try to appoint justices who would overturn Roe v. Wade. But still, this bombshell does have many people stunned that the high court would possibly take away a right rather than provide and enforce one, as is normally done. Well, this draft's keywords: quote, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Now, this is feeding into some of the public's concerns about the court's political independence. What some of the justices of the majority are saying now about Roe also isn't exactly what they told senators back at their own confirmation hearings. It is a a precedent that has now been uh, on the books 
for several decades. It has been challenged. It has been reaffirmed. Part of being a good judge is coming in and taking precedent as it stands. And your personal views about the precedent have absolutely nothing to do with a good job of a judge. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade. A fetus is not a person. That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes. Well, this draft opinion isn't exactly following that notion of the acceptance of the law of the land. And I want to unpack this further with a team that we had to take apart and answer the question, what now? We're joined by our Supreme Court reporter, Ariane DeVogue, Chief Political Correspondent Dana Bash, and Political Commentator Jonah Goldberg. I'm glad to have all of you here, especially on a night like this. I want to begin with you, Ariane, because you know the court so well, and you've been following for so long. I want to know about the impact of this leak, because we can talk about the substance of the draft opinion, of course, but this is truly unprecedented to have the actual draft opinion that normally is circulated to be out in the public under the microscope. How impactful is this to the court's reputation? Well, that's, it's shattering, particularly for the justices themselves, because as, as the court confirmed today, it wasn't a final draft. What usually happens is then it's circulated through different chambers. One justice can say, add this, subtract this, you can have my vote. This really is a breach of um, public trust there, and it will have big implications. And when you think of the um, draft opinion itself, it's really the worst case scenario for supporters of abortion rights. Because remember, at oral arguments, they knew things were bad, but they really thought that Chief Justice John Roberts had floated a middle ground. He was saying something like, let's keep this law, but also keep Roe on the books. Uh, And they came out of it feeling like he might attract someone else, but that is not what Justice Alito did at all. He said that Roe should be overturned. He said that the issue should return to the state He said that Roe had short-circuited the process, and he took on that notion of stare decisis, which means uh, that the justices usually uh, allow precedent to stand, even if they don't completely agree with it, because uh, the case law are, are the building blocks of law. And if you pull one out, then the whole thing comes down. And Alito today rejected that. So this really, this leak and the opinion itself, uh, it really is such a blockbuster. We haven't seen something like this, and it's going to impact the future of the court. It's going to impact, as you said, confirmation hearings um, from now on. And it's just, it it was Mm. a seismic shift. You know, on that point, Ariane, the idea of confirmation hearings already under the microscope being evaluated to figure out whether you're actually going to have candid, forthright answers that are transparent from those that are nominees. And, and Dana, to that point, you know, you, we realize that there have been many members of the Senate, Senate who have talked to those who have stood to be confirmed. And they've asked the very questions about what they thought about precedent, about sorry decisis, about what ought to be. And in fact, today, Murkowski spoke about how her confidence in the court had been rocked. Should she have known? You know, given what we have seen with this draft opinion, perhaps. But so much of this is unprecedented, and never mind the leak, but also It wasn't that long ago that it was anathema for a president to demand what they called a litmus test on abortion for their Supreme Court nominees. It was it's really only in recent years 
especially on the Republican side in the Trump years, that he went all in. I mean, you have to remember on the notion of elections having consequences. In order for Donald Trump to secure the backing of the, the, the base of the Republican Party, as somebody who was a former Democrat who was very much for abortion rights until just shortly before he ran on the Republican ticket, he said explicitly, not only will I pick somebody who will overturn Roe v. Wade, he was given a list of potential nominees to, to pick from, from groups who knew what they were talking about and worked for decades to do that. And, and Dana, so, and on that, on that point, though, the idea yeah. of having to understand the dynamics politically of who could actually get confirmed, you spoke mm-hmm. to Senator Susan Collins just a few years ago about this very notion, this idea of thinking about what it would take to be confirmed. I want to play what you asked her about the confidence level that she had about that candid nature, about that litmus test. Are you 100 percent certain, without a doubt, that Brett Kavanaugh will not overturn Roe v. Wade? I do not believe that Brett Kavanaugh will overturn His precedents Roe are overturned all the time. They aren't overturned all the time. He noted that Roe had been reaffirmed 19 years later by Planned Parenthood versus Casey and that it was precedent on precedent. He said it should be extremely rare that it be overturned and it should be an example. So you have obviously full confidence. I do. Well, on that notion, the full confidence that Dana spoke to her about, Jonah, I mean, does the public have the same confidence in the court, knowing that there is certainly a disconnect between what was said and now what might be joined if it's a final opinion? You know, it, it, I think the public is actually pretty sophisticated on this this kind of thing. And they understand basically since Bork, I mean, the story here begins with Bork, where Bork treated his confirmation hearings as if they were a graduate level seminar. And he spoke very bluntly and very honestly, and it torpedoed his nomination. And since then, you know, with Democrat and Republican appointees alike, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the first one to say that she was not going to discuss any issues that might appear before her. Um, the nomination, the Supreme Court confirmation process has um, been sort of calcified with these um, op- this opaque language that prevents um, having frank and full conversations about what people's positions are. Um, I do I do disagree a little bit with 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 Dana about litmus tests insofar as my recollection is that Democratic candidates started the process of campaigning on the promise to only appoint um, pro Roe v. Wade candidates. And then Trump basically joined in in that process. Um, I think at the end of the day, the, the American people are very ambivalent about abortion. They're very it's a very they generally don't like it. Um, but at the same time, they want some protections for it in some circumstances. And uh, we're going to actually see that in most of the country, is that you're going to find these kinds of compromises, which is something that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said would have been a better thing for our politics. Can I just stay add, tuned? Add, Laura, stay I, tuned. Yeah, I want I, you to add on. Just real, quick, just real quick, I, I agree with Jonah. I, what I meant was on the Republican side, Republican presidents. I mean, that's Sure. That was maybe going back to to, to the Souter uh, uh, example where uh, the Republicans were very upset with George H.W. Bush. But even more recently, I mean, look at the clip that you played from um, Justice Alito, then nominee uh, Alito, a, a George W. Bush a, a nominee. Uh, he was saying all the right things, something that t- to get 
nominated, to get confirmed, rather, yeah. Yeah. very well, we, much differs I mean, from Suter, what you saw in the Hold on. I, mean, I, I want to talk about both these issues. I want to hear more from you. Excuse me. I want to hear more from you, Joan, on this. I want to hear from all of you. We're not going to resolve it in this instance, but I want to, I, I want talking about the notion of the importance of elections and campaigning on it and what the litmus tests are. We'll come back on this issue in just a moment. Ariane DeVogue, Dana Bash, Jonah Goldberg, thank you so much. Because I want to turn now to Ohio, where we've got CNN projecting that Congressman Tim Ryan will win the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate. But many are watching the Republican Senate primary, a far more contentious race. And the outcome could reveal what we're talking about here, the influence of former President Donald Trump and whether he still has that influence on the party. I want to go take a close, close look at who is leading this field. And we've got John King at the Magic Wall. John, tell me, what are you seeing? Well, Laura, right now we're seeing J.D. Vance, who has the Trump endorsement. J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, a venture capitalist, has the Trump endorsement. And right now we're seeing him starting to pull away. We still have about half, a little more than half. We're at 43% of the estimated vote in. So more than half to count. So everybody be patient at home. But in the last hour or so, we have seen... J.D. Vance continue to grow and expand his lead, about 26,565 votes ahead now of the second-place candidate, a fellow conservative, another very pro-Trump candidate, Josh Mandel, and Matt Dolan, the only candidate in this race who has said the Republican Party needs to put the big lie behind it. He is running third right now, in a distant third, 93,000 votes. Uh, a couple other leading candidates in the race, or candidates who were in contention in this race who have fallen low, but they're getting votes in the crowded field, Laura, and this makes a difference. Businessman Mike Gibbons at 12.5, the former state party chair, James Timpkin at 7. Why does that matter? Well, when you're in a crowded primary and your race now, you're 26,000 votes and change ahead. You see J.D. Vance in the map uh, winning many. Not, the dark red is Josh Mandel. This lighter red here is J.D. Vance. He's winning a lot. He's winning most of the rural counties. That was Trump's strength. So perhaps it, we know the Trump endorsement shot J.D. Vance up in the polls. The question was, where would the undecided go in the final days? Again, a lot more to count. But J.D. Vance pulling ahead. If Matt Dolan has a chance here, it's only here because of this. Laura. Uh, this is Franklin County, Columbus, the seat of government, the capital. Uh, he's running well ahead here, and only 25% of the vote is in. But he'd have to make up a ton of votes here. As we watch, the other possibility is Cuyahoga County, Cleveland. The Dolan family owns the Cleveland Guardians, the baseball team. Uh, you see a much bigger margin for the more establishment candidate, where you have the suburbs here, but 20% of the vote in. Uh, it's possible because you have large voting centers in Cleveland and in Columbus. But what's been interesting, the third largest county is Hamilton here. This is Cincinnati. And you see much more of a split here with J.D. Vance narrowly ahead. So is it mathematically possible? Uh, yes. Uh, but at the moment, J.D. Vance with the Trump endorsement stretching it out. Again, you mentioned Tim Ryan as the Democrat. Whoever, the, Whichever Republican wins this race will be favored in the fall, but it's May. We'll see how it goes. Thanks, John. We'll check back in later in the hour. Thank you so much. And we're going to return to the Supreme bombshell ahead and what this draft opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade might mean for women nationwide if that draft opinion is indeed made final. We're going to talk to two key figures in the abortion rights movement, the CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights and the owner of the abortion clinic at the very center of this storm out of Mississippi. That's next. So what now is the big question. What now for women who might be seeking abortions? What now for abortion clinics? I mean, if the Supreme Court majority draft opinion is actually adopted, some of the effects will be immediate. You've got 13 states that have passed what are known as trigger laws, 
which are abortion restrictions that will be triggered automatically if or when Roe v. Wade is overturned. And one of those states is Mississippi. And that's where Diane Durzies owns the only abortion clinic in the state. In fact, it's her clinic, Jackson Women's Health Organization, is the one at the very center of that draft opinion. And she joins me now, along with the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, Nancy Northrup. Ladies, I'm glad to have both of you here with me tonight. I want to begin with you, Diane, because as many people have been talking about over the course of a year what happened in Texas and the end run around the precedent of Roe v. Wade, really the case before the Supreme Court involved the idea of what was happening in Mississippi. And you own the only clinic left standing there for this particular issue. What has it been like in your clinic today with the news of this draft opinion circulating? It has been business as usual, except for the press that is there to talk to the administrator. But um, the patients don't pay any attention to that because they're there to get a medical service. That's all they're interested in, and that's what we saw today. Are you seeing a lot of people outside the clinic in terms of protests? We're talking about a media presence mostly. Are you seeing your, your, the people who are patients having to go through something before they can enter and get that treatment? That's the norm. Uh, we're actually seeing less protests because they know that our future is limited. So they have chosen to go to other states at the time. Um, today was press waiting to hear what was going on in the clinic and to see what they could see in the front. And speaking of the idea of being able to go other places or needing to go other places, if this actually is adopted as a final opinion, you know, your clinic would likely have to close. And that would mean that women who are in Mississippi who are otherwise able to access your clinic are going to have to travel to other states um, like Illinois or North Carolina because abortion would not be banned in those areas. So what are you doing in terms of preparation in the event that that might happen? Is there a movement happening to help those women be able to get to those other areas? I know you're opening a clinic as well. Absolutely. We're going to uh, New Mexico. That will be the Pink House West. Uh, We have long thought that uh, our time was limited and that Roe would be overturned. So we have made plans. We've presently been seeing women from Texas, so they drive great distances. And the waiting period is about five weeks before a patient from Texas can be seen in one of the clinics in in an adjoining state. And that's because the numbers from Texas... Now, multiply that times the numbers from the states who have yet to ban it. And that's going to give you some idea of the nightmare this is going to become. Hundreds of thousands of women trying to get medical care. Nancy, as she speaks about this issue and the waiting period, you can't help but think about every week being a moment where obviously you're talking about in a trimester framework it being quite impactful. And I want you to tell you about the big picture here. She's articulated the idea of having to go to different neighboring states, assuming those states are not banning abortion. What impact would this decision, if it's final and if it overturns Roe v. Wade, what impact is that going to have on the ability of people to travel to different areas, to be able to go to a place within a time frame to actually receive the service they're requesting? It's going to be difficult, clearly, you know, if a woman well, I mean, let me, let me ask pregnant. Nancy quickly about the question as well. I'll come right back to you, Dan. Go ahead, Nancy. Okay. Yes. Well, what we do know is that 
if the Supreme Court were to reverse Roe versus Wade, about half the states would move quickly to ban abortion. And that would mean that in large swaths of the South and the Midwest, uh, people would have to cross multiple state lines to be able to get care if they have the means to do so. And we've already seen this happening with abortion being banned at six weeks in Texas. And uh, as Diane just said, people were going to Mississippi, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Colorado during the time that that's happened since September. And that is going to multiply. And that is going to be an incredibly difficult situation. What's so important is for people to recognize that this is going to be an access crisis. And that that is why you're seeing today so many people coming out, not just here in Washington, but across the country, to say that it is unacceptable to have the Supreme Court reverse 50 years of a guaranteed personal liberty. People are coming out today and standing up and saying, enough. Well, thinking about that, and we see on the camera on the screen here the protests that are happening outside the Supreme Court. And again, this is only the draft opinion that is not final and might not be the one we see later on, maybe next a month or so. But I want to ask you, Nancy, you talk about those who are turning out. What about Congress? Do you have any hope that Congress will be able to codify Roe v. Wade? We heard President Biden speak about the idea today outside of Andrews or Air Force Base. Do you have confidence of the, of the potential? to codify Roe v. Wade if it, in fact, is overturned? You know, the Women's Health Protection Act is the bill that responds to the bans and the medically unnecessary restrictions on abortion that have been happening for years. And the Women's Health Protection Act has been passed by the House. The Senate has voted on it. It didn't get enough in the first vote in the Senate. But we're going to continue to push the enactment of the Women's Health Protection Act, because we cannot have the situation that Diane has talked about where you don't even have access in Mississippi. You know, she has been holding on in Mississippi for all these years with the Pink House in Jackson, uh, providing the care that people need in that state. They should not have to leave that state. Care should still be provided in Mississippi and in every state across the country. So the Women's Health Protection Act, Congress can act. Many people don't know that. They're just waking up to the fact that it's not just the Supreme Court that can protect abortion rights. So can the U.S. Congress. Diane Derzies, Nancy Northrup, thank you for the information. And especially, uh, Diane, thinking about the waiting list, about who is actually coming to get the services performed at different states and thinking about projecting that out, what it would look like ultimately. Thank you for your time. I appreciate both of you for taking the time to talk to Thank us about you. this. And we're going we're gonna to keep looking at the Supreme Court draft opinion. And by the way, the leak fallout ahead. But up next, our other big story, because we're watching the returns and a major test of Donald Trump's influence tonight in the state of Ohio. Our political team is here with the early takeaways 24 hours after the battle for the control of Congress nationwide may have just shifted. We're coming right back. So right now, more votes are being counted in Ohio and also in Indiana. This is the first major primaries of the midterm season. The races tonight now only set the stage for what's set to be an eight-week blitz of primary elections. But it's also going to be a preview of the issues that American voters care about most and maybe which direction they want the country to take. I want to bring in our top political minds here. We've got Abby Phillip. 
David Chalian and Dana Bash is back with us here. Let me begin with you, Abby. I, I want you to react a little bit to the primary results we're seeing so far. We're, we're learning that in terms of where things stand, about 56% or more of the votes are in. And you've got J.D. Vance, who seems to be about 40,000 votes ahead. Are you surprised? Well, I mean, that's the the intention of a Trump endorsement is for his candidate to go from being uh, kind of in the, the middle or the near the back of the pack to being in the front. And I think it just goes to show that really there's not much that has happened that has waned Trump's influence on the Republican Party. Vance was one of many of these candidates who uh, were vying for Trump's endorsement, trying to be as as close to Trump as possible. He happened to win the endorsement and it worked for him. Uh, I also uh, think it's notable that Trump's endorsement came as early voting was already underway in that state. So I think it it just emphasizes that uh, even a a relatively late endorsement seemed to have given Vance uh, just enough juice to kind of beat out the competitor. And also when you have a race that is split between so many candidates, you know, Vance might end up with, what, 30 percent of the Republican vote. I mean, that that kind of uh, says just how split, um, you know, Republican voters are picking among candidates who, frankly, are not that much different from each other when it comes down to it. Well, the difference is one's got the rubber stamp of Donald Trump. And of course, as you mentioned before, this is somebody who Trump had to warm up to after early criticism by J.D. Vance. You have that late in the game. David, on this point, I mean, we're talking a lot today, obviously, about the impact of this draft opinion that is not final. We've been told that it was leaked. But if it's any indication of what's to come, we know that abortion issues and abortion rights can be a very big game changer in terms of the turnout. What impact do you see about the fight surrounding the abortion rights in this country? Is it going to have an impact on the primaries? I mean, obviously, this just came out last night. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see less of an impact in the primaries because Republicans tend to agree on the issue of abortion rights, as do Democrats agree in their position on uh, abortion rights. It's much more uh, an issue uh, where the parties for the general election context in November uh, differ greatly and where uh, both parties will attempt to mobilize their bases uh, around the issue. I do think um, it's worth noting as we're talking about Trump's endorsed candidate here in the lead in Ohio, Laura, you know who's probably not surprised to see the Trump endorsed candidate in the lead? People like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, who we just recently were learning about their initial response to January 6th and time to get Trump out of the party and how quickly they moved off of that because they sort of looked at where the base of the party was and understood that even a year ago in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, this was still very much Donald Trump's party. And I think we're seeing that uh, play out today. If Vance holds on to this, uh, that is only going to embolden uh, Trump's presence and prowess inside the Republican Party. I want to put up on the screen for people to see that this is the beginning of this eight-week process, this eight-week blitz. We're talking about upcoming primary battles that are happening in May, also happening in June as well. We know that's going to be a factor. Um, And we know that nearly a a dozen other states are going to have primary battles this month. And there are some pretty key matchups here. If we were to go beyond the primary, though, Dana, as Chalian was speaking about, what do you see in terms of the political fallout possibly being in terms of the impact of abortion at a general election in the midterm elections going forward? I mean, this has been an issue for many who have compartmentalized their grievances with a particular candidate based on the ability and the prospect to have Roe v. Wade overturned. 
Who will, who, to whom's benefit will this inure? Will it be Democrats? Will it be Republicans? Is it hard to judge? Well, you know, and this is so new. The, the, the real answer is it's hard to judge. What I can tell you based on talking to sources all day in both parties is that on the Democratic side, you have them already facing incredible headwinds on a whole host of issues. And the idea that they have a real, not just a base motivator, but they hope potentially a suburban voter uh, motivator in this issue of abortion, which had been a very, a pretty sleepy issue on the Democratic side. I mean, the reason it has has been uh, a huge political issue is because the Republicans made it this way. The Republicans methodically for decades focused on this issue of abortion and focused on packing the court and focused on getting people elected in Congress, in the Senate and uh, to the White House in order to do that. And so you are likely to see a shift there. But just even more broadly beyond abortion, what is going to be fascinating if, in fact, J.D. Vance, for example, does win the Republican uh, nomination in Ohio, you are going to see the Mitch McConnells of the world start to get potentially a bit nervous because the question is about the general election. The question is whether or not these Trump-endorsed candidates can win, even though Ohio in the last presidential election was clearly red. Is it going to be a different case because you have a a Democrat who's going to run against potentially a J.D. Vance? And it could be more of a toss-up than a solidly Republican state, which is what Republicans were hoping it would be. On that point, I was going to say, I mean, all of these different primary elections, they really are sort of case studies for people like Senator Mitch McConnell and others to look at, and also Senator Chuck Schumer as well, to figure out how the balance of power may shift or may be maintained. And so looking at all these races, that stamp of approval that Abby spoke about and David echoed as well on this notion what impact will it have? Will the kingmaker still reign supreme, particularly knowing what we're seeing in the abortion-related issues of last night and going forward? Abby, David, Dana, thank you so much. Nice seeing all of you. You too. Thanks. Now, back to the hunt for a Supreme Court leaker, an investigation ordered up by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, on this truly unprecedented breach of the high court. So, Who leaked a major draft opinion and why? And was it illegal? Insight from the lawyer who presented the whistleblower at the center of the first Trump impeachment trial is up next. We have breaking news now in the Ohio Republican Senate primary race. CNN can now project that J.D. Vance will win the GOP nomination. Let's go right to John King at the Magic Wall. John, what are you telling us? This is a victory for J.D. Vance, Laura. It's also a victory. You cannot sugarcoat this for Donald Trump as well, who endorsed J.D. Vance. And you see a turnout on Election Day in Ohio powering J.D. Vance. We have about 70 percent of the vote counted now. This lead has stretched over the last hour, stretched from 20,000 to 40,000 to 50,000, now just shy of 50,000. J.D. Vance with 31 percent of the vote. Josh Mandel, the former state treasurer, a very pro-Trump candidate, but he did not get Trump's endorsement, running second to 24. The more establishment Republican, State Senator Matt Dolan, was in the hunt early on. 
gone, but he simply faded as J.D. Vance. See all these rural counties? This is J.D. Vance's color here. See all these rural counties up here? Just like Trump built it up in Ohio and ran away with the state against Joe Biden, rural Ohio, not exclusively, but very much powering the math behind what we now project will be a J.D. Vance victory. And you just go in some of these counties. I'm just going to tap randomly here. Uh, you know, again, he's relatively, relatively close in some of them, but you pick up several hundred votes in a small rural county like that. You move over here, you're picking up several hundred more votes here. This is how Donald Trump does it in small town and rural America and J.D. Vance with the Trump endorsement doing it in Ohio tonight. Another place where if Matt Dolan, the more establishment candidate, was uh, to have an upset, he needed to do it down here, the third largest county in the state, Hamilton County. That is Cincinnati. It's where J.D. Vance's headquarters is tonight. Uh, look, you see J.D. Vance running just narrowly ahead right now. But if there was to be an, a magic establishment strike back moment against Donald Trump, this would have to be for Matt Dolan at the moment with only 26 percent. Still a ways to go there. But J.D. Vance leading there. But Laura, just look. Just look. This is how, if you go back to the presidential race in 2020, see all that red? That's Donald Trump. That's how he does it. Joe Biden won in Cleveland. He won in Cincinnati. He won in Columbus. Joe Biden won the three largest counties in Ohio, but he won only seven counties in Ohio because Donald Trump runs it up in small town America. And if you look at the Senate race tonight, you know, J.D. Vance, he's going to be he's at 31 percent because of the crowded field. But we project him the winner because of that. And there is no doubt, no doubt on this one night we have a long way to go to see how it plays out throughout the primary season. On this night, a victory for Vance is a victory for Trump. Let's bring back in our top political minds, Abby Phillip, David Chalian, and Dana Bash. Um, I'm wondering who is relieved and who is anxious now, not you all personally, but in terms of the political parties <laughs> and the machinations of, of Capitol Hill. Abby, uh, predicted or not? Yeah, I mean, I think expected, given the Trump endorsement for sure. Um, you know, of all the candidates in the Trumpy wing of the party, I think Vance is one that the establishment thinks they can live with. Um, you know, he made a sharp turn toward Trump uh, in order to run this race. But I think by and large, uh, many Republican uh, establishment types uh from from what I have heard, uh, they feel like he can he can run uh, a general election effectively in that state and perform uh, perform you know decently. And especially if you look at some of these primary um, you know returns as they're coming in, he's doing well in the kind of more rural areas, but he's also doing okay in suburban areas. And I think that those are two kind of factors. Uh, that Republicans are going to look at to see how he might perform in a general election. And not to mention the fact Ohio has just become a much more conservative state. And so this mm -hmm. is going to be an uphill battle for Democrats. It almost doesn't matter who the Republican nominee ends up being. Dana, I hear you um, acknowledging it as well and, and echoing it, that sentiment of how this would be able to maybe be extrapolated even beyond Ohio. What is this telling you in terms of the ability of Donald Trump to have endorsed a candidate to a successful primary victory, but also what it makes might speak to other state primaries that are coming up. Is it a litmus test? I think we have to be careful because although the Republican Party nationally clearly is the base of it, the primary voters clearly do still support Donald Trump and Trumpism. Uh, each state is different. You just showed that uh, that Ohio in particular, John did, Ohio in particular has become much more red uh, in every way. Pennsylvania is uh, a state that is coming up when this other uh, primary test will be out there, whether or not a Trump endorsed 
candidate, uh, Dr. Oz, will beat somebody who, or if there are a few candidates, but somebody who is more Republican establishment in Dave McCormick. It's unclear, given that electorate, whether or not you will see the the same kind of uh, dynamic that you saw tonight in Ohio. What is also unclear, again, what we were talking about earlier, is how a Trump-endorsed candidate is going to do up against whomever the Democrat is going to be. It's also all, and especially now, starting today in Ohio, it is about the general election. So all the questions you were asking before, how the Supreme Court uh, potential decision on abortion comes into play, other factors come into play, that will all decide whether or not this Ohio seat, which Rob Portman, the Republican, is leaving, stays in GOP hands. And speaking and David, of that, yeah, oh, sorry. No, no, I was, was going to say, David, I want to bring you in on that very notion because I'm curious, precisely what Abby was speaking about in particular, the idea of, and what John was explaining, the where these votes were coming from, how to look at this in terms of what the composition of these voters who were galvanized to come out votes actually means. Yeah, I mean, th- this is certainly, as John pointed out, uh, a Trump country kind of turnout uh, for J.D. Vance. Now, remember, we're saying that in the context of a Republican primary, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at the general election map, you see how Democrats have sort of lost any foothold, even in places like Ohio, where they used to have it, uh, in terms of rural areas. Uh, And and Donald Trump sort of wiped that away in his last two presidential elections. But But what's interesting to see about now that we know it's going to be J.D. Vance versus Tim Ryan. It's like, how does that shape up? And we see Democrats out of the gate immediately within minutes of Vance yeah. being projected the winner here, trying to frame him as a California elitist who wrote the hillbilly elegy and made a lot of money from a Netflix movie on it and not of Ohio. I don't know if you're a Trump endorsed candidate who just pulled a lot of votes from rural Ohio, that yeah. that kind of frame will stick. Well, you know, I want to go to Jeff Zeleny. He's live at J.D. Vance headquarters in Cincinnati. What are you seeing over there, Jeff? We are seeing a lot of excited J.D. Vance supporters, Laura. You can see the crowd behind me listening to the song Gloria, and they believe that J.D. Vance will be taking the stage momentarily. And there is no doubt that endorsement from President Trump about two and a half weeks ago led to this victory tonight. The question going forward, can he consolidate other Republicans? And just talking to a variety of uh, Republicans who supported his uh, challengers, they say yes. They say that J.D. Vance can speak to the base of the party, which he proved tonight, and he can also speak to the intelligentsia of the party, if you will, the establishment wing of the party. So this victory is really quite extraordinary. Uh, Just about three weeks ago, he was near the bottom of the pack, and it was that endorsement uh, at a uh, at a rally in uh, Delaware County from, from the President Trump that did indeed give him the credibility to overcome all of uh, the doubters. But uh, what we are going to hear tonight, I'm told, is J.D. Vance trying to unify this Republican Party and immediately going after Tim Ryan. He will be trying to portray him as uh, simply uh, part of the Democratic Party, part of the Biden Party, he may say tonight. So clearly this is a, uh, a large win for J.D. Vance in his first bid for public office. And this is going to be a test, but we do know Ohio is increasingly becoming a red state. So will this be competitive uh, in the fall? It will be in the sense that Tim Ryan is a strong Democratic candidate, but this simply is a tough uphill battle for Democrats. They know that, Laura. 
Jeff Salami, thank you. I want to go back to the panel, and I'm sorry everyone's going to have that song stuck in their head for the remainder <laughs> of the night, and are probably going to try to find Flashdance on you, Netflix Laura Brandigan. at some point in time. <laughs> I know. I'm telling you, it's, what, it's a great one. But to that very point about what it reveals, I mean, obviously, you're talking about a primary victory versus a general election victory. It's one thing to be able to best your Republican opponent if you're a Republican, but you also have to bring in a greater part of the electorate, Abby, on these issues to have that win in Ohio. Is there a concern there? The way Jeff, Jeff explained it, being able to bridge the gap across a spectrum of Republicans. Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, I have to say that if you're going to get the Trump endorsement, the first thing you have to do is adopt the playlist, which I think J.D. Vance did, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, as he we can to see tonight. He needs to add some Pavarotti into that playlist. <laughs> right. Phantom that's a good one. Vance, that's yeah. a good song. I got to right. give it. It's a good song. It it's is a good song. It's not stuck in my head. Um, but I will say, I mean, to your, to your question, look, this... Uh, looks like J.D. Vance is taking the stage now, but um, so stop me if you need to, Laura. It, it, I think it's going to be a question of whether he can convince general election voters of his own transformation. I mean, this is someone who uh, really did go from being in the never Trump wing to being uh, kind of a pro-Trumper. And I think you're going to see Democrats trying to sort of poke holes in that narrative. Tim Ryan as a candidate is someone who, you know, he had his own presidential run, tried to run as sort of like a working class populist. And so these will be two kinds, two candidates from different uh, parts of the, the ideological spectrum, both trying to run as populists. And J.D. Vance, you know, we're, we're looking at less than 30 percent of the Republican electorate right now in his camp. Can he consolidate those people by November? That will be a big question. All of those Matt Dolan voters, are they going to come out to vote for a Republican nominee or will they stay home? Those are some of the big questions that we ought to be looking at over the next few months. And it's worth noting he's now secured this primary projected victory, Dana. And just last week, Trump didn't actually know his name, the appropriate name. He had blended two different ones. So I'm just saying there's a lot there. What do you think? There are a lot of candidates. Uh, so, yes, that was a very interesting moment, especially because all of the, the, the candidates, except for one, as we've noted, Matt Dolan, have been vying, had been vying for Donald Trump's endorsement in a way that was really remarkable uh, to see. Um, but... Listen, J.D. Vance, what he has in common with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania is that he's he's a celebrity. Maybe he doesn't have the, you know, I didn't have the Oprah endorsement once upon a time that a Dr. Oz does, but he's got some name ID. And that's not nothing. Put that with the, the Trump endorsement and the fact that this is going to be a very closely watched election in Ohio it means that uh, it's it's really up for grabs. Yes, this is a Republican uh, electorate. Yes, this has gone GOP. But remember, Sherrod Brown is a Democrat who also he's a well-known guy in Ohio, but he is a Democrat, a progressive Democrat, as he would call it, who represents Ohio as well. David, you got some reporting speaking about the conversation about Donald Trump and the shadow he obviously has in this particular race. You have reporting about a conversation between the two. Well, I'm sharing our colleague Gabby Orr's reporting. Uh, she uh, spoke to sources familiar that uh, former President Trump reached out to make a con congratulatory phone call to J.D. Vance just a few minutes ago before he took the stage uh, and uh, no doubt wanted to be part of this uh, victory moment, uh, extended uh, those congratulations to Vance. Perhaps Vance will share that in his remarks here. But clearly, uh, our 
colleague Gabby Orr was also saying that uh, he was watching these returns very closely and he was gathered in Mar-a-Lago and they were keenly interested in seeing how this endorsement uh, would play out as the vote returns were coming in tonight. And he is described as relieved, according to Gabby's reporting, that uh, that it turned out this way, that his his horse in this race did indeed get across the finish line. And we're talking, of course, about what's going on in Ohio in the congressional primary. There's also some really big races at the state and local levels. I point to Georgia, for example, the gubernatorial race there about who has the stamp of approval from endorsement from Donald Trump versus others and what impact that's going to have down the line. A lot of people watching Ohio and many other places as well. Thanks for watching. A big night still ahead. Don Lemon tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.